special in your church. I've been a pastor for over three decades and church plant, uh, did some missions work around the world. I can just tell the vibe that you guys have. It's special and keep it going. And it's not just one person, one pastor, one elder, one volunteer, one staff member. It's everybody. So keep it going. It's really encouraging for me to uh, be here and to be in this space with you. I want to welcome my wife, Sandy. She's uh, here with me for uh, this next week. Yeah, been travel around your great state a little bit. And our friends, Scott and Kim from Indiana, uh, they go home tomorrow. And it's been great to have them here and uh, their first time here. And uh, uh, it's not just been a disappointment to them at all. So turn to Exodus chapter 10. We're in a series called Foundations of Hope. And uh, as you're turning, one thing I've learned in my life, now 61 years on this spinning blue terrestrial ball, is you need something big in your life. I mean big, big. I mean like eternity big. And you may ask, well, why do I need something that big in my life? Well, it's how you think. It's how you think. And it's how you think. And it's how you think. It's how I think. We think about eternity all the time. Because we don't live forever here. The Bible puts it this way. God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. Ecclesiastes 3. You wonder, and so do I, and so does every person who's ever drawn breath on this planet, where have we come from and where are we going? You need something big, like something big enough to take you into eternity and give you life for all eternity. And that kind of big only comes from God. That's why we need the stories of the Old Testament, because there you find a big God. Don't get me wrong, in the New Testament, you've got the miracles of His Son. You've got the resurrection, you've got the revelation of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But in these stories of the Old Testament, one of which we're going to look at really deeply today, we started last week, continuing this week, we see a big God. And what you learn, and what you're reminded about in the Old Testament is this, don't trifle with God. If we were just a group of guys on a men's retreat, I might use a different expression. Don't mess with this God. Do not compare him to anything else or anyone else now or ever. God is big. We are small. And that's okay. Our enemies sometimes are big, but God is bigger. Someone say amen. God is bigger, and the Old Testament reminds us. We need it. We, I'm shocked at churches that do not pray. Praise God for the last series that you've been in. You guys are looking at the God of the Old Testament, right? He is good, don't get me wrong. He is good, he is patient, but he is not tame. He does not need a publicist to help him be acceptable and adaptable to modern people. He is great, and he is gracious, to humanity because of his one plan of redemption. But throughout the Old Testament, God signals over and over and over again. He will save those who trust him. He gives the world a series of promises communicated and then lived out through a chosen people. A promise through all of the different promises in the Old Testament that one day a redeemer, a chosen one, a lamb will come. 
and he will be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Soon to become the Lion of Judah, the Great I Am, the Deliverer King, God's one true Son. Covenants, these real life stories, remind us of God's greatness. And I want to remind you today, young and old, please listen, your faith, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your faith rests on a very strong foundation, though some things may be shaken in your life. In my family, we just walked through one of the greatest trials we've ever had in our lives. And God again showed himself faithful. It wasn't easy, it's still not easy, but he showed himself faithful. And you remember his promises because you know his promises are really hard to remember when you don't know. As a matter of fact, over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God simply says this, remember. Remember who I am and what I've done and your hope will never be shaken. Turn to Exodus chapter 10 if you're not already there. The New Testament reveals this God of ultimate wonder and power and we're looking at this epic story of Moses and the exodus of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Someone asked me one time, you know, if you could summarize the Old Testament in one word, what would it be? And I would say it's the word promise. If you force me to just choose one word out of the entire English language, it would be promise. This God comes, he communicates, he's aware, he's engaged, he sees the need, and he says, I promise I will help you. I promise I will deliver you. So if today you're struggling with doubt, if you need power to shore up and resist temptation of sin, and it is relentless, relentless, if darkness is depressing you and lies are deceiving you that God doesn't care, read and remember the God in the stories of the Old Testament. You can follow the whole line of redemption through the covenants. You can remember all of the Old Testament. You could pass any seminary class if they said, what is the Old Testament about? Promise to Adam to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, all fulfilled in the new covenant, in the blood of his son, Jesus. So these two weekends, we're looking at the life of Moses, and next weekend, I'll start talking about the life of Elijah. And as I mentioned next week, or, or excuse me, last weekend, that I want to kind of give each of you four buckets, if you will. And I hope that even through the reading of God's word in just a moment, you hear a, a kind of a clank in your bucket. Unless it's plastic, then it'll be kind of a poof. <laughs> and you're going to get some stories along the way. You're just going to get your buckets filled by just hearing about God. I don't have to do anything except read it. But we are called to proclaim and to make it clear. And so I want to talk about the character and nature of God. And then I want to talk about ourselves. What can we learn from Moses' life and how he interacts with Pharaoh and his people and then his own people, the Hebrew slaves? What can we learn about ourselves? And then most importantly, what can we learn about Jesus through this story in the Old Testament? So a little bit of backdrop, if you will, about 
Moses and the backdrop of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament teaches that God raised up a people made up of 12 tribes originating from the family of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And these 12 sons turned into the 12 tribes of Israel. At a particular time in their history, a famine was in the land. And they went down to Egypt to secure some food and support for their families. And they grew into a giant, numerous people. And the Egyptians were threatened by them in their country. And the Bible says that at a particular time, a pharaoh who knew not Joseph came to power, saw the threat, and clamped down and enslaved the people for 400 plus years. But in time, God raised up a deliverer named Moses. The new pharaoh decided to kill all the baby boys to try to kill that one deliverer. But Moses was saved from this mass infanticide because his mother made a basket of reeds and pitch and floated him down the Nile River. He was pulled from the river and raised in Pharaoh's home. And Acts chapter 2 verse 22 says this, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. See, we can be very confident that Moses was quite capable of writing the five, first five books of the Old Testament. No problem. And he was and is very important to that theme of redemption through the Old Testament. Scholars will tell you that his life, just the incredible leadership stories, uh, peaks and valleys of his life are incredibly important to humanity. His law, scholars around the world, across ethnic groups, across nations and decades will tell you that there's no greater lawgiver in the history of mankind than Moses. And his literature, which extend beyond the Ten Commandments and beyond the five books of the Old Testament, his story is one that points us to the one true Redeemer. So one day Moses believed that he should step down out of that uh, household of wealth and privilege and come to his own people. And he sees an Egyptian slave master abusing a brother Hebrew and he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Took law into his own hands. Interesting, isn't it? How one of the greatest lawgivers took the law into his own hands. Buried him in the sand. Well, the next day, he saw two fellow Hebrews fighting, and he said, hey, why are you guys fighting amongst yourself? What are you doing? And then one of them turned to him and said, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed that guy yesterday? And Moses knew the gig was up, or jig. Do you say jig in Alaska? It's up, and he had to run. So for 40 years, 40 years, he flees to a place called Midian, finds a wife and has a small family, and there... In the desert for 40 years, God teaches him how to be a shepherd, how to be a leader, how to be like God. So we went, we, last week we picked it up where after 40 years, God came to him and he said, it's time to go back. Now you're ready. So he goes to his father-in-law Jethro and he says, hey, God's calling me back to Egypt. I need to go and see if I can deliver my people now. Jethro says, peace be with you. He sends him away. He goes and confronts Pharaoh with his brother Aaron, and Pharaoh says this, who's the Lord that I should listen to him, get back to work? I mean, I'll just, now. 
And Moses said, you need to let my people go so they can worship this God. Now, that had to be odd to Pharaoh because you don't talk to your gods. He didn't talk to his gods. He didn't have that kind of relationship. So Moses persists and Pharaoh persists and he says, it's not going to happen, leave. And when he leaves, he turns to his officials, Pharaoh does, and he says, take the straw from the people, double their labor, and they're going to turn on this guy and I won't have to kill him. Because he's a savvy politician. He knows that if he kills Moses where he stands, he's going to have a slave revolt. Not a good plan. So he says, let the people kill Moses. And it starts, it happens. The, The foremen of the Israelite people who are Israelites, they're like, Moses, what have you done? You've made things worse for us. And Moses goes and complains to God, and God says, now you're going to see. Chapter 11 says, now you're going to see. So this goes down in chapter 10, beginning in verse 21. Follow along with me. Chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness, what's it say? That can be felt. Wow. God says to Moses, stretch your hand. Darkness is going to come and they're going to feel it. Why do you think this was one of the main miracles that God worked? So let's see. What is the number one, outside of Pharaoh, what's the number one ancient god of the Egyptians? Anyone, just say it. Right, right. So God, the true God of creation, so if you do any study on Ra, he's the sun god, he's the creator god, he's the beginner. God takes it all away, takes takes light away. And it goes on to say that the people of Israel, they had light. The Egyptians didn't have light. It goes on to say that uh, no one could see, chapter 10, verse 23, no one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days, yet all the Israelites had light, the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and your herds behind you. And Moses said, You must also let us take our flocks and our herds so we can sacrifice when we meet the Lord. We need to present these things to the Lord. Verse 26, our livestock then must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use them to worship the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Pharaoh said, Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure that you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. And then comes the last of the plagues, and we touched on this last week, where the ten plagues most likely were for all the main deities, all ten deities, and then the last plague comes. And the only way the Israelite families could save their children was to take a sacrificial lamb, kill it, perfect lamb, take the blood, and wipe it over the frame and header of their houses. 
But this was not God coming against the Egyptian people. Let's be clear about that. Because as you read the story, you discover that that the neighbors of the Hebrew slaves, the Egyptian common people, God made them favorably disposed, the Bible says, toward those Hebrew slaves. God's issue was not with the people, it was with their gods. Chapter 12, verse 12 says this, On the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. So this is where we find ourselves today. I want to further pick up the story in chapter 14, beginning in verse 5, because some very, very important aspects of the story surface here. So in chapter 14 of Exodus, beginning in verse 5, it says this, After the people left, the king of Egypt was told that they were gone, and the officials and the pharaoh changed their minds. What have we done, they said. We've let Israel go, and we've lost their services. So he made a chariot ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots. Now imagine, the people are free. They're moving out of slavery for the first time in centuries. Chapter 14, verse 8, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. They were pretty happy in that moment. The Egyptians and all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them. Skip down to verse 13. I'm sorry, skip down to verse 10. And as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, they looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? That's a bad day as a leader. Didn't we say to you, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. These words mean, in the original language, to engrave, like carve out a place Get your footing and rest in the promises of God. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the heart of Pharaoh and the Egyptians so that they uh, will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through the chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Very interesting verse here. Then the angel of God. Don't miss that. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of the Israelite army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side. Wow. And light to the other side, so that neither went toward the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea all that night. The Lord drove the sea back 
with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them. Then all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so they had difficulty driving. The Egyptians said, we need to get out of here. The Lord is fighting for the Israelites against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters will flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The waters flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that followed the Israelites in the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him, and in Moses, his servant. Here are some things for your buckets. What can we learn about God? First of all, he never settles for second place. Never settles for comparison. It's tempting to think about this story and think, oh, it's about Moses and Pharaoh, these gigantic personalities. Oh, it's a human interest story and people are delivered from oppression. All of those things have relevance, of course. But the facts are the story is about God versus all other gods. I mean, in all of history, you don't have a pantheon. You don't have a display like the gods of Egypt. The depth and the, uh, the centuries of these gods and God puts them all down. You need something big in your life, and so do I. How big? Like eternity big. It's how we think. We think about eternity all the time. God has set it in our hearts. It's big, and only God can fill eternity. Only God can give you life that will give you consciousness, that will give you understanding and perspective on the life you've lived here and the life that you will live for all time. You need this kind of God. What can we learn about ourselves? The fear of man will always be an issue when you're trying to follow God. You will always like Moses. I will always like Moses be tempted to think, well, people won't like me. They won't listen to me. They're going to hurt me. I don't speak good. I thought that would land a little bit better than it did. but Moses' task was daunting. First of all, rejected by his people, and then 40 years a refugee, and then now I'm just a shepherd, and then God appears, God himself appears to Moses and said, you're going home to deliver your people. Let's identify with Moses a little bit. There's a fear factor. What if I can't do it? What if I compromise too much? What if I'm asked to just collaborate my morality? Psalm 118 says this, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man will be a snare to you. Next thing we can learn about ourselves is that God will bring the right friends at the right time. Just stay on the path. 
Stay faithful to Him. Don't lower your standards. Don't give up on God. Don't trifle with God. Don't compare God. Don't tell your friends all gods are the same. They're not. And when you hold true to that path, you hold true to God's word, He will bring the right friends. This Midianite priest named Jethro was the right guy at the right time. The neighbors were favorably disposed. They gave them all kinds of stuff so they could escape Pharaoh. God will provide when you walk faithfully on the path with him. Happened to me last night. I was down by the river, and this dude named Poa gave me from some fish fillets, and I'm like, there it is right there. <laughs> Seriously, I've planted a church. It's a thriving church. We planted two other churches. I've coached church planters. Uh, in some ways across the country, we're getting ready to help plant a fourth church because we need them. We need congregations everywhere that believe in this God. It's our only hope. The local church is God's plan A for the story. And I tell them, and it's fun to tell them, listen, this is what's going to happen. God's going to bring people of peace into your life. People who are going to bless you. They may not ever come to your church. But you stay faithful to that path and faithful to that message. God will provide in ways that you've never seen before. And it's so fun to get that call or that text and say, hey, PC, it happened. Listen to what God did. It's true for Moses. It's true for us. So what can we learn about Jesus? I want to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 10. Go to the New Testament. The Gospels, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do you remember the angel of God who was accompanying them? Do you remember that story? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells this church, and I believe your church needs to know this, my church needs to know this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud. In other words, he's saying, remember, remember the Old Testament stories. They were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Watch, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred. Uh, a little context, if you're not familiar with the story. The people made it through the sea. Pharaoh's army's dead. They make it into the promised land. And then they lose their minds. They totally lost their minds and started worshiping idols and other gods. And you just slap your head purple. Until you read this kind of thing and Paul says to us, the church, hey, don't get high on your horse or your camel or whatever else you ride. <laughs> right? Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to us. To keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Don't become idolaters. In other words, have other gods and say all gods are the same and those kinds of things, as some of them did. As it were written, the people sat down and ate and drank and got up and indulged in pagan revelry. 
You should not commit, commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Don't trifle with God. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. Do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angels. Listen, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Oh, my word. The fulfillment of the ages. All of the promises have been fulfilled. And therefore, us, and we are part of this message, and we can't have a small God. See, the Bible teaches that when John the Baptist laid eyes on Jesus, he said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It means that Jesus is that ultimate atoning sacrifice for the sins of humanity. In John chapter 1, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about. In all the law and the prophets, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus himself said after his resurrection in Luke 24, he said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. This is what Moses was pointing to. This is what Moses was writing about. This is what Moses lived for. Deuteronomy 18 Uh, says that Moses prophesied that God would raise up a prophet like him, but better, bigger, and he would be the fulfillment of all that he was writing about. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 says that by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with God's people rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. He knew. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. This is what we learn about Jesus through the literature and the law and the life of Moses that he clearly was God's, that Jesus was God's promised Messiah. He knew that all that he wrote about, all that he did, all that he was, was a foreshadowing of the truer and better deliverer Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3 puts it this way. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house. Testifying to what would come in the future. This text teaches us that Jesus is the ultimate builder and finisher of God's house. Moses was a servant. Jesus was the son. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.19, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people, also members of God's household, built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Moses was a strong deliverer. He was a strong witness in his day. 
but he also knew that his day wasn't the only day that mattered. He was looking for a better country, an eternal home beyond the present circumstances, and Jesus is the way to that home. My question for you, have you considered your standing before God, this God of promise? Do you see your existence through an eternal lens? Have you considered your mortality? Have you considered the debt you owe God for your sin and your bondage to sin? Have you considered how lost you are without a savior? Have you thought about how hard your heart can become if you don't submit to the witness of God's grace in Christ? Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Are you seeking forgiveness and deliverance from the ultimate Passover lamb? Are you covered in the blood? Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Worship team, just hold again, just for a moment. No one looking around. I want you to process a few questions. Has there been a time in your life where you bowed your head and heart and will before God and confessed that you need the cleansing, redemptive, saving power of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you stopped your life in its tracks and bowed your knee before the one true living God and acknowledged your need for the Savior, His Son, who paid the price and penalty for your sin, the Bible says this, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So with no one looking around, if you're wondering, God, have I made this clear to you that I do trust Jesus? Or maybe it's been way past time and you know today is that day and you're like, this is it. I've been looking for this opportunity. This is it. I don't want to pass this up. I want it to be clear to God that I do trust Jesus. The Bible says, if you deny me before my father, Jesus said this, I will deny you. If you deny me before people, I will deny you before my, my father. So today may be that day for you. You get it. The dots are connected. This is an opportunity. I don't want to force anyone. I don't want to drag this on. The opportunity is there. If you're here today and you know you need to make this clear to God, no one else looking around, just lift your hand quickly but high and put it back down. This is the day. Yes, yes, yes. Anyone else? Yes, this is the day. Thank you. I've been looking for an opportunity. The prayer I'm about to ask you to pray is not a magic prayer, but it's the prayer of all prayers. Thank you. Anyone else? I, wanna, I just want it to be clear to God. I do trust Jesus. So, those who lifted your hands, let me ask you to do this. Just quietly in your heart before God, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, Thank you for what Jesus did for me on the cross. I repent as a sinner. I turn away from sin and I turn fully toward you. This is my declaration. I am trusting Jesus alone for my salvation. I have no 
righteousness of my own to offer. Bring your Holy Spirit into me. Cover me in the blood of Jesus. I now trust that I am whiter than snow before you. God, I want this to be clear to you that I do trust Jesus. And I thank you for the salvation that I have in him. If you prayed that prayer, you need to tell someone close to you. Someone that was here. If you want to chat with me afterwards, I'd be happy to talk with you. God, thank you. Thank you, God, for your gospel. Thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for Pastor Justin, for the staff, for the elders, for the foundation that they're built on. God, bless them. Multiply them. Protect them. They're doing a great work here. May it continue for generations to come. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can stand.